and welcome to another edition of the Double A Team on the Barroom Network. I'm Ken Fang, along with Stephen Nagishi, and we have another action-packed show again today. Uh, we have two great guests, Michael Yam, host on the NFL Network, and our other guest is Lily Zhao, who is a reporter for Fox 6 in Milwaukee. And uh, if you follow Lily, she has a great uh, social media presence and also uh, has a lot of things to talk about uh, in regards to a certain team named the Green Bay Packers and a certain quarterback named Aaron Rodgers. They're just so boring, Stephen. Nothing ever happens in Green Bay. Nothing ever happens with Aaron Rodgers. So will it be interesting to hear, hear what she has to, has uh, Lily has to say in regards to the team and covering the Packers, who have been so boring over the last two years. <laughs> well, you know, we've been working to get these two uh, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, with the Super Bowl officially over a week ago, uh, I think it was fitting to have both of them on our show to talk about the 2021 season that just wrapped up uh, with the uh, Rams winning the Super Bowl, which Absolutely. both we predicted that, that we were, you know, that the Rams would win. Mm-hmm. In a, somewhat of a very close uh, Super Bowl uh, game, which was very, very entertaining. And uh, we will offer our uh, thoughts at the end of the show about how we view the uh, the Super Bowl and overall halftime show and the uh, our favorite commercials, etc. Absolutely. And of course, uh, we have to talk about the elephant in the room over the last two weeks, which are programming for NBC. And that is, of course, um, a lot of promos and a lot of stuff. But of course, that, uh, surrounding those promos were the Olympics. So uh, in, uh, in communist China, of course, uh, the Winter Olympics wrapping up on Sunday and uh, the wrapping up after 17 days of glory. Normally, in a normal year, uh, we will be raving about the Olympics. But Stephen, because of what happening with COVID, what was happening with human rights violations, also what was happening also with doping, uh, you know, surrounding the figure skating uh, venue, um, this particular um, Olympics averaged around just 11 million viewers for NBC, which is the lowest of all time. And you compare that to four years ago in Pyeongchang in uh, South Korea, in the Republic of Korea, average viewership was almost 20 million. So you see a lot of things going downhill. And uh, really, uh, Stephen, uh, you and I had talked about this. We also talked about this with uh, Professor Jules Boykoff a, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, uh, right before uh, the 20, right before, I believe it was before the end of the year. Uh, right. We talked with him in regards to what we thought about and uh, how NBC would approach this Olympics, how it might not be well received. And those predictions came true. Yeah, definitely. The uh, it was probably the uh, considered the Olympic from hell, I guess. Um, you mentioned Pyongyang, uh, and uh, now again in uh, Beijing. So two back-to-back Olympics in an Asian countries. And uh, I've been harping on this, uh, Ken. If you remember, you know, pretty soon that all these uh, major sporting events, if you also include the World Cup and everything. It will only be held in the uh, Asian countries with a questionable human rights record or, or a bunch of uh, Middle East, uh, you know, countries with uh, another, you know, questionable human rights, uh, you know, uh, records and reputation. And uh, it's probably may have finally caught up to it. You know, Thomas Bach, the IOC chairman, has uh, pissed off uh, many people in uh, Tokyo 
back in the summer of last year with his uh, tone deaf statements and uh, 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 not just a statement, but actions as well. And uh, certainly even in this uh, uh, Beijing Winter Olympics, he was nowhere to be seen. And when he, you know, offered a statement regarding the uh, Katrina Valieva's uh, doping and the coach who uh, who was criticized by Bach, I think a lot of people are like, you know, like, really? Like Thomas Bach has any credibility in making any significant uh, criticism and, and, you know, like he's able to offer any sort of a reform that uh, – Olympics have uh, really, really uh, become more corrupt that, uh, po uh, you know, Professor Boykoff have been uh, preaching for uh, many, many years. Also, too, uh, Stephen, is the fact that, and we talked about uh, a bit about the uh, figure skating venue, but also, too, in regards to uh, Thomas Bach, as you mentioned, um, he really didn't have much of a rebuke for the host of China. They always keep saying, we want to be non-political we are apolitical we want to bring the world together well we didn't really see i mean we did see athletes from the world and the, the youth of the they always say the youth of the world gathers in one location we try to bring the world together and yes indeed we did see a lot of athletes from around the world over in beijing over the last couple of weeks however um china spokespeople um basically uh, tackled political issues. They talked about Taiwan. They talked about, uh, they denied every, any uh, human rights violations about the Uyghurs. So they did everything they could to know, make us uh, aware of who they were, uh, led by a, uh, a dictator uh, in, uh, and also being led by a communist government. However, at the same time, the IOC was trying to bury its head in the sand and also uh, let people know that, yeah, we're apolitical, but we're trying to uh, better the world. However, the, the people of the, uh, at least of the United States and the audiences here in Canada and other countries, at least um, people who were, were looking at uh, these Olympics with a jaundiced eye, uh, a rather skeptical eye, uh, pretty much uh, knew what China was. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's, a, uh, you know, between Bach, ROC, you know, which is which stands for Russian Olympic Committee. It's not even the country of Russia. No. And then uh, China, you know, all three of them being elephant in the room. It's funny that uh, Thomas Bach's continuing pandering to these uh, so-called authoritative countries, nations, whatever you want to call it. It's just uh, staggering and embarrassing. Uh, that uh, I think a lot of people are asking, must be asking serious questions. Do we really, really need Olympics anymore? Uh, I mean, is, is it even worth hosting mm -hmm. going forward? True. And also, uh, you take a look at NBC's contract, which is in the billions and lasts until 2032. Now, granted, the last three Olympics, Pyeongchang in Korea, Tokyo in your native country, Stephen, uh, last year was supposed to be, of course, in 2020, but had to be canceled due to COVID. And this um, last Olympics uh, was just completed in Beijing. This cycle, first we've ever seen in three Asian countries, um, turned out to be as it went on a, on a downhill spiral uh, for NBC. First, a very good 
uh, decent uh, viewership in Pyeongchang than down in Tokyo and even worse in Beijing. Um, you have to wonder if the NBC may want a rebate uh, or some type of relief because they're paying billions of dollars for the Olympics through 2032. So you're just wondering, maybe NBC is going to say, well, maybe the Olympics aren't worth as much as we thought it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting, uh, you know, with the uh, the viewership that's, you know, considerably down uh, all across the, uh, you know, the globe. Even in Japan, it was pretty much down. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sports, uh, you know, the, the cost is uh, skyrocketing nowadays. And, uh, you know, with the pandemic and the impact of revenues, you know, you have to wonder, is uh, networks going to start to... Uh, you know, wield a little more of their muscle or they're just going to continue to look the other way and just uh, continue to shell out more money just to, uh, you know, uh, air two, three weeks uh, at the expense of canceling their more popular, uh, you know, dramas and uh, variety shows, uh, you know, going forward, you know, whether it's cost effective or not. Right. Um, and then, of course, uh, while the negative stuff was uh, on our minds, um and of course, this being in an Asian country, we have to talk about some great performances by some people in the AAPI community. Uh, Nathan Chen, of course, uh, uh, who I think really had a breakout Olympics uh, in the figure skating venue. Uh, we also have to talk about Chloe Kim, who uh, not only uh, defended her gold medal, won another mm -hmm. gold medal in addition to that, and also since she's come back, has done the great tour on social media. So mm -hmm. if you follow her Instagram page, you get to see a lot of Chloe Kim. And also we have Vincent So and Alyssa Liu. And right. of course, there is one person who, um, another elephant in the room, Eileen Gu, who is who represented China, won a couple of gold medals, but at the same time is born in San Francisco. She chose to represent China. So let's talk a little bit about all of them. Um, and and uh, a, a little bit about each, Stephen. Uh, first of all, great performances by people in the AAPI community, um, both the United States and, of course, uh, Asia. Of course, uh, of course, Native Asians as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Eileen Gu obviously chose to represent China. I forgot there was one other person, I believe, also born in the United States, also represented China. The name, mm -hmm. unfortunately, escapes me. But... Um, uh, Bill Maher obviously took shots at uh, her and as well as LeBron and John Cena for obviously pandering to communist China. Uh, but, uh, you know, to be fair, I have nothing against Eileen Gu for representing, you know, communist China. If that's what she wants to do, if right. she thinks that uh, that's going to increase her marketability, which obviously she's got a significant follower on her Twitter, and I believe Instagram as well, and obviously already uh, endorses several high-end, uh, you know, uh, fashion brands and uh, makes millions off of it. Hey, listen, that's her choice. Right. You know, if she wants to be a, you know, maybe a communist spy, you know, just, uh, you know, for the layman terms, you know, that's her choice too. You know, obviously, you know, representing two countries or at least being born and having lived in two countries, obviously, Ken and I, you, you know, you, you and I could obviously attest and somewhat sympathize to that side uh, of, you know, 
who who we are, who are we? You know, the identification or identity uh, that uh, sometimes uh, you know us Asians struggle with. And mm-hmm. uh, and obviously, um, you know, Nathan Chan was obviously harassed by the uh, Chinese national media, obviously being called the traitor because uh, you know his parents are obviously Chinese Americans. Um, the U.S. and China relations obviously has not been good at all. And it's going to go, only going to get more and more testy and frosty going forward. Um, it's it's a difficult, uh, you know, it's difficult for a lot of us Asian Americans, especially with the uh, racism at an all-time high uh, in this country. And, uh, you know, for a lot of these athletes that, uh, you know, um, the article that the uh, uh, Aldo just pulled up uh, earlier, obviously, uh, written by Andrew Kay, who's uh, also an Asian American himself, about the uh, ice skating, which garnered a lot of uh, criticism the way he wrote uh, the headlines. Um, so, you know, it's something that all of us struggle, even with the, uh, you know, winning and, and the glory uh, that, uh, that they, you know, they certainly put up a very, very good efforts uh, representing the United States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then uh, once they get home, you know, they have to wonder, you know, uh, was it really worth it? You know, do they struggle with the, um, you know, representing two sides, you know, U.S. and China? Who are we? You know, who are who are they really? You know, those things that uh, struggles that uh, certainly they come up with all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course, in his defense, uh, he did not write that headline. Uh, someone at the New York Times, some editor decided to uh, mention the fact that, uh in, instead of making it about, yes, more Asian Americans in the AAPI community are representing, they're basically saying at the expense of Caucasians, which was not really what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. However, it was not really it was not really done well by the New York. It wasn't a good look for the New York Times. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I wasn't attacking the guy who wrote the article by any stretch right. of imagination. Right. 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 And you know, if you look at the article. Um, Aldo, if you don't mind pulling it up again one more time, you know, basically, you know, uh, even when I was young, there were so many, you know, famous uh, ice skaters who represented the United States. Uh, Michelle Kwan, you know. Christy Yamaguchi. Exactly. I was going to mention that even before that. So, um, you know, to say that, uh, you know, we're somehow domineering this uh, sports uh the way he put it uh, or at least the the misleading headline that the new york times put together um was a very very uh uh you know demeaning and uh you know that might raise another red flag or you know just uh you know incite uh, more anger from uh you know uh you know uh you know white or african-american parents who uh, you know who just uh um, you know, want their daughter or son to be successful without, you know, us being targeted. You know what I mean, Ken? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, 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 the article, as you see there, the American pipeline, the Asian pipeline going into American figure skating, it's only made the sport better. I have, a, I just felt it made, made it better. However, the tweet and the headline that went around it saying vividly overrepresented in ice rinks and competition I don't know what exactly you're trying to say there. Are you trying to no, say I that Asians are, are doing 
um, are, are, are doing that at the expense of whites. I, I'm not sure exactly what they were going at. It's not a very good look for the New York Times. They didn't take it down. There was no real apology over it. And, and it's, I'm just wondering where the New York, where the person who wrote that tweet and the headline, and not the one that you see there, the Asian, the A- Asian American pipeline. That's fine. I think that that was that 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 is a fitting, um, that is a very fitting headline. But the one saying that the API community is overrepresented and in a disproportionate way, as opposed to other sports, that's just, that's just really unfair. And again, as you mentioned, it only, it only tends to uh, really stir up xenophobia against the, uh, against the uh, Asian community. Absolutely. The, the, the biggest irony is the guy who wrote this uh, is uh, Andrew K. K E H. He's a, Asian American uh, writer himself. Um, so honestly, he took a lot of backlash on the comments, I believe, on that uh, Twitter handle comment section. And uh, he came to his own defense. And obviously, you know, that's not how he wrote it. But mm-hmm. obviously, unfortunately, the damage is done. So right, it's, right. A, it's a learning lesson for even all of us, how we phrase things, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, even a lot of Asian people, as you can see there, uh, you know, a lot of people. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, the Vividly Tui Choi uh, below right there. Andrew K. That's the gentleman who wrote this article. Hi, Tony. I'm happy to chime in. I used the word after hearing in conversation with multiple Asian sociologists. It literally just means that participation is cre- clearly disproportionate to the population stats cited in the same sentence. There's no judgment baked into it. Unfortunately, yep. the people that he talked to, whoever it is, and I, and I, I, and I shot back uh, right there, you're somehow okay with this? Did one of your overjealous white editor make you come up with this? Okay, and, uh, I, and, I, and I responded. Um, but uh, yeah. It's a, it's not a good look when an Asian uh, person writes something that would anger, uh, you know, the AAPI community. I mean, even if it's overrepresented, it's not like a, you know the skating, you know, the U.S. figure skaters are overly represented by us Asian Americans, mm-hmm. even even historically. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again, um, overrepresented um, is really. Um, a really misleading statement there and um, really hoping the, I, I don't know what, what lesson the New York times does because they, they do a lot of things that really baffle me like buying Wordle. But again, that's another story for another day. Well, we, sure. I won't get into Wordle. So, and I, I did, <laughs> and I, by the way, I do not post my Wordle score on any of my social media <laughs> platforms. You don't care about my Wordle score, nor should you. So no, I don't no, put it no, up no. Although I did, I haven't it. even jumped on to, to the uh, Wordle, so I'm I'm already late to the party there. That's okay. I did solve it today, <laughs> but you don't care, and I'm not going to tell you how many times it took me. All right. In any event, so but before we, um, uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Um, uh, so, um, Stephen, before we wrap up this segment, before we go on to the next segment, whenever when we'll, we'll go there, when Michael Kim, Michael Cam is ready to uh, uh appear, um, do we think that the Olympics? Have they really run its course? 
are they obsolete in this in this time in this day and age? We all we have so many other competitions, world competitions. Uh, we have like the X Games, which of course is trying to be, which it may ES, ESPN. The rumors that they may sell them because uh, eventually Disney feel, might feel they're not profitable. But we have other competitions. We mm-hmm. also have the World uh, Cup of Hockey uh, for the NHL, which the NHL is trying to promote. Um, because NHL players have not gone to the last two Olympics. Um, are we, do we feel that, do you think that maybe we'll see maybe a, a downgrading of the Olympics or maybe just the fact that uh, this is just a bad cycle for them? You know, it's hard to say. I know I was saying that maybe, you know, have we run its course? And I think it's a legitimate question to be asked. You know, if a change in leadership changes things you know then i'm all i'm all i'm all for it because i think thomas bach has shown nothing in his uh uh tenure especially in the last uh, couple of olympics that uh, he is a capable leader uh he has shown to uh pander to the authoritative state uh you know when we, what we saw with the uh roc his criticism sounds hollow which i should have used the term hollow when he criticized uh uh, Katrina Valieva's uh, uh, female coach, Eteri, I, I think, uh, Eteri Tubazeri, Tutu, I think mm-hmm. that's how it, you know, if I'm mispronouncing it, I apologize. But mm-hmm. uh, you have a, you know, like a young 15 year old girl who, who obviously takes uh, doping mm-hmm. to obviously sustain her success at that level, which is obviously. You know, young girls like her obviously being discarded after one Olympics. And uh, that's a huge problem that needs to be significantly uh, revised, in my opinion. You know, we had, uh, you know, the the other Russian skater who finished second was caught screaming, I hate this sport, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, the, the athletes are under immense pressure having to be, you know, used as a pawn for this and then you had the jump ski jump uh you know there were even a lot of controversies that uh, you know players uh were being uh disqualified because of the size of the you know the suits that they were wearing all of a sudden and it's just uh it's just it's just nuts you know where's ioc where is wada world anti-doping agency where's the leadership in all of this the leadership mm-hmm. vacuum is just simply staggering and it's it's one thing that i've kind of learned ken uh during this pandemic which is still unfortunately ongoing is that the 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 simple you know uh vacuum and the lack of leadership has become more and more prevalent than ever and there are certain people like thomas bach who are benefiting from the the outdated system that they want to maintain for their own personal gains and prosperity. You know, we've seen that with the FIFA and the UEFA as well, where, you know, people like uh, Michelle Platney, who disgraced his his, uh, and tarnished his, uh, you know, legacy because obviously he was caught taking bribes and stuff. And uh, nothing has really, really changed. So... Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to demand more. You know, NBC needs to squeeze a little more 
for, for the amount of money that they're paying, they shouldn't be just going along for the ride and just turn right. the blind eye on mm-hmm. these things. You know, there there has to be some sort of a consequences, and if NBC has to pay for it, then so be it. Right, right. Uh, I I mean that's it's you mentioned what happened to the figure skater uh, Katrina Valieva. Um, her coaches basically hung her out to dry um, instead of showing some compassion after the free skate where she's crying. Her coaches are yelling, well, why didn't you do this? Or you blew it, basically. Um, and the, as you mentioned, the, the the other Russian figure skater by saying, I hate this sport, is just a lot of pressure on. We have to re- remember, these are kids. These are teenagers. These are 15-year-olds. Right. Um, they're not 27-year-old uh, like Lindsay Jacobellis, who, wanna, who after four Olympic Games came back to redeem herself. In, in in the uh, in the Olympics after after uh, falling down um, in in, in, Tur- in Turin uh, in 2006, she won finally won her gold medal and finally won a second gold medal. Um, and I think a lot of ex- she had experience. She had life experience. When you're 15, you don't have life experience. No, you really don't. You're basically to- do what you're told. You're used to saying a coach saying this is what you're doing. You go- I, or take this or do this. Or this is what you're going to have to do, or diet. I mean, at 15, you don't really have any recourse. You're not really, you don't have that life experience, as opposed to a Sean White, as opposed to a Lindsay Jacobellis, as opposed to someone who is in their late 20s or 30s who has that, as we mentioned, that life experience and knows what's going on. Um, figure skating, unfortunately, is a young girl sport like gymnastics, and we we've seen some of the costs that we in these last two Olympic games over mental health, Stephen, and I have a feeling that I don't know what the International Skating Union is going to do about this. I don't know what the International Olympic Committee is going to do about this, but someone has to, we we saw some of the downsides of figure skating. It's a beautiful sport. It really is a beautiful sport when done right. Um, Paris figure skating, ice dancing is beautiful, Um, but when you see small girls, teenagers, uh, 15 years old, um, with the pressure breaking down on the ice, there's something wrong here. Absolutely. You know, even in this country, Ken, um, you know, we had a number of um, high schoolers who went straight to the NBA. As you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, you know, straight out of high school. And obviously don't have a lot of life skills. You know, they don't know how to manage money. Uh, you know, they're not mature enough, obviously. And I know the argument is if you're old enough to serve, uh, you know, in, in this country at 18, you know, whether it be Marines, Army, uh, Air Force or, you know, uh, Navy, then you can go straight to the NBN. And I get that argument. But, you know, there have been many, many instances where for every Kobe White, I'm sorry, Kobe Bryant, I'm so sorry. And LeBron. And LeBron, of course. And Kevin Garnett. There are yeah. countless high schoolers. Who have failed miserably, um, you know, were out of the league, you know, in uh, only a couple of years, and um, you know, those are parallels that uh, you know what we see in the world of ice skating, the ugly side of it. We've seen that in this country as well. So, you know, I pray that these uh, young athletes, regardless of what their sport is, you know, whether it be basketball and in this case, ice, uh, you know, ice skating that they get the uh, the respect and the treatment that they deserve. And, uh, you know, obviously IOC and the uh, Skating Federation 
this is this has to be a, a, a you know a, a wake up call for many mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the commentators on NBC, Tara Lipinski, who was 15 on her own when she won in right. Nagato in 1998, she can sympathize and emphasizes what was what happened on with Katrina Valieva. She totally understood. Um, also criticizing the system in Russia uh, for the doping, mm-hmm. no feeling that she shouldn't have skated. Both she and Johnny Ware. Uh, both came out uh, with their statements, heavy statements. But at the same time, after she basically failed, um, she came out with a lot of empathy. And, uh, you know, that's what these kids need. They need empathy and they just they need some type of guidance. And I wish that I don't know what they I'm certainly I'm sure that the Russians are not going to change their system. But at least in the United States, um, maybe there's something, some type of reform in the, in the International Skating Union can do something in regards to, especially in a sport, which has become basically gone from the, if from the 1970s and the 1950s, when you saw skaters who were quite in their twenties and maybe mid twenties. Uh, and now you're seeing a, 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 a sport with preteens and teenagers. Um, and, it, it, and the unfortunate thing is that when they get to be 17 or 18, their bodies change. And they basically can't skate the way they used to. They're basically thought as has-beens in the sport. So, and you'd hate to think, and and a lot of times when you're in other sports reaching 17 or 18, you're beginning that uphill climb and you're beginning to find who you are. But it's a, you hate to see in a sport like uh, figure skating and gymnastics, uh, Stephen, that uh, a sport like that, whereas uh, girls, and of course, Simone Biles is, is a, uh, an exception and she's in her 20s. But uh, uh, you'd hate to see st- uh, sports like these where young girls are basically thrown away like uh, are, are thought of a dime a dozen. Absolutely. You know, um, you have to worry about their, uh, you know, overall health, both physically and mentally. And when you live in a, you know, when you come from a place like Russia, obviously, um, you know, they've known, they've known to be, you know, for many, many years, doping was a norm, you know, under the communist regime, you know, along with the East uh, Germany, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, China in the early, in the, in the early two, when they started becoming uh, prevalent in swimming and other sports, we also know that uh, China used those same East German doctors in, in the uh, 1990s as well. Absolutely. And uh, something has definitely needs to be changed for the better uh, for the better betterment of the sports, I should say. Right. Well, uh, let's take a break. We're going to take a break right now. Um, we will have eventually have Michael Yam of the NFL Network. When we come back in the next segment, we'll talk football. Uh, of course, the Barroom Network. Uh, this is a, a, a network we like to talk about a lot of football. So we'll continue with that. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. We'll also talk about some of the interesting things that have been reported about the upcoming season. Yes, even though the season ended last week, we can talk about some of the interesting things that have come out about some of the requests by the networks for the upcoming season. We'll have that all and more coming up on the Barroom Network and on the A team as we continue right after this. So what exactly goes on at the NFL Combine? I asked Greg Gabriel that question, and he said there's more than scouting going on. Everybody involved in the league is at the Combine. So you got the coaches, the front office, you got your cap guy there. there. Um, 
your medical people are obviously there because of the combine, mm -hmm. but the your whole personnel staff is there. Every agent is there too. Theoretically, you know, you can't negotiate a contract with some of these free agents from other teams. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff being done down at Indy. You know, and, and, and you don't have to lock into certain figures, but you know, it's a, and I'll just use the name Joel Siegel because I know Joel. And Joel, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'm not saying you do this. I'm just using your name. So, you, you, here's Kyle Fuller's agent. Okay. And, but, you know, he says, hey, Joel, you got this player. What's it going to cost? Mm -hmm. Well, I've talked to about four teams already. It's going to cost you at least $12 million a year. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're getting that type of stuff. Then you're going to, you know, does he want to come here? Do mm -hmm. we got a chance? And you can't talk to the guy because it's, you know, that would be tampering. Right. Right. So, but the agent can. Even though you're not supposed to be talking to the agent. We're back with the double A team here on the Barroom Network. I'm Ken Fang along with Stephen Nagishi. And Stephen needs you to unmute your, yourself here because uh, we got, I, we do have a guest upcoming, but let me first talk about a couple things uh, that have been discussed today uh, on this Monday, the day, the day we're taping, uh, in regards to the upcoming NFL season. I know the, uh, the season just ended, but why not talk about the new NFL season while, while we can? Um, the networks have already started making their requests. John O'Rand over at Sports Business Journal came out with a great article today in regards to what the networks are doing. Um, this upcoming season is the last of the NFL media contract. And interestingly enough, Amazon is asking for a Black Friday game because they're not going to have a Thanksgiving game because CBS, NFL, uh, CBS, um, Fox and NBC have Thanksgiving Day um, monopolized on that one. So Amazon, which is going to be in its first year of tele of not televising streaming. Thursday night football this season is asking for a black Friday game. And actually it's in their contract. Uh, the NFL is said to be lukewarm to that idea, but we'll see if they decide to do something like that. Uh, looks like ESPN plus is going to get an international game, most likely in London. We know there's a game in Germany that was announced last week. Uh, there'll be a game in Mexico and three games in London. So we're going to have five international games. And also Steven, um, we know that Christmas day for this upcoming year is going to be on a Sunday. Both CBS and Fox have asked for Christmas Day games. So, Stephen, your quick reaction to all that stuff that I just told you. Well, I did read the uh, Black Friday uh, game. Uh, I thought it was pretty uh, telling, obviously. Amazon makes their uh, big money, obviously, during the holiday season. But, um, you know, honestly, I've always felt that uh, Friday would have been more suited than the uh, Thursday night game, football game, to be honest. I know there are many places in the country, obviously, Friday nights are for, you know, high school football and all that stuff. But, I, you know, even even with that, I, I don't think the, uh, you know, the viewership would fall that behind, obviously, Friday night. You know, a lot of people, obviously you know, sometimes uh, stick around and watch football games. I'm sure that the uh, the movie industry aren't too keen on having a football game on a Friday nights. 
but um, you know, we'll see. Um, and the uh, the German game, you know, as somebody who've lived in Germany, I'm very very uh, excited. Um, you know, it will be in Munich this year, and then followed by Frankfurt in 23. So the next four years, uh, even years in Munich, odd years in Frankfurt, and obviously, you know, the NFL. I believe last month released the uh, international market territory uh, uh, for the uh, you know uh, global games. Obviously, certain countries obviously have certain territorial rights um, for those games. Um, you know, I could see uh, Kansas City and Tampa Bay obviously maybe rumored to be the uh, the first ever game to be played in Munich. Uh, so it will be interesting. You know, I think Germany, uh, from my time living there, has always had a strong uh, NFL interests, um, you know, Frankfurt uh, being such a diverse city, global, you know, global city, obviously home of a uh, European central bank. And it's also uh, close to uh, Wiesbaden uh, Air Base, uh, mm -hmm. a military base uh, where U.S. Army uh, is stationed. So there's that aspect of it. And let's not forget how well NFL Europe did quite well in Germany as well. So, yep, yeah. Yep. And this transitions quite well to our very first guest. He's from the NFL Network. He's also worked at the Pac-12 Network and also at ESPN. Let's bring in Michael Yam. Uh, Mike, how are you? Nice to talk to you. We followed uh, each other for many years on Twitter. Nice to finally talk to you. Absolute pleasure, guys. I really appreciate the uh, the invite. Uh, enjoy that conversation on what day of the week we could get some NFL games. I feel like the, the, the calendar is 12 months a year, but I yes. would not be shocked. Uh, I. I think if Amazon wants it, there's a pretty good chance. But um, I think, Stephen, your point on high school football a little bit earlier, I think is a good one. I, I don't think the NFL would want to invade high school football. That pipeline long term, I think they, they value that in a big way, just like they value the pipeline that comes with international games. And I know you guys highlighted a couple of those, but I, I'm getting right down to business. I don't know what I'm doing here. Let's let's hang out. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys. Well, I've been working uh, for quite some time to have you on for, for a long time. And uh, I'm very, very honored to finally have you on as a guest, Michael. I, I got to tell you guys, I've uh, been tracking some of the shows. Um, it is rare. I'm like in a show open. I was like, yo, let's go. Like this, this, is, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Uh, I know not that we don't have like a ton of options in our, our community, but at the end of the day, um, definitely appreciate you guys highlighting, um, you know, the, the folks in our community and certainly, you know, who are passionate about sports. Mike, you started, uh, you got the national start, of course, at ESPN, went to Pac-12 Network and then uh, moved over, stayed on the West Coast. Just to, to yeah. go over to NFL Network. Uh, what's been the journey like for you? Wild, wild. Ken, I, I think if you would have told me as a, a kid that this would be my job, I would have said you're crazy. First of all, I didn't even realize that this was really a viable career path. I, I know you guys obviously make a living in sports. You know, the reality is there's, there's not a whole lot of folks that look like us. And when I was a kid, there, there really wasn't a lot to begin with. So, you know, I was a sports fan. I watched the games and I know that sounds really naive, but I didn't put two and two together that you could, like, if there's people, I was watching the games. I knew they were broadcasters, but, um, you know, it, it, that, that old adage of need to see it, to believe it is, it certainly rings true for me. Um, you know, I was, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. I, that's kind of my whole <laughs> life. I, I, that's what I thought the path was going to be for me. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and then it, I pivoted uh, after, you know, one semester when I was at Fordham and just, you know, Ken, you mentioned the journey. It is, I, I, I say this, uh, you know, when you mentioned the Pac-12 network, I was really fortunate to, to be there for almost 10 years. And I got to talk to a lot of students 
And every time I would talk to the students, I'd say the same thing. You're, you're not going to find a broadcaster who's luckier than I am. Like, I just think about how things have fallen into place in my career, the people who took an interest in me that, that didn't have to take an interest in me, that were huge mentors uh, in my life. And, you know, without them, I don't think I would have been able to get some of the opportunities. And hell, it was, you know, to be totally honest with you, a little bit of a dark time after the Pac-12 thing, because I didn't see that coming. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I land at a place like NFL Network. So it just, like I said, I, I know it's not all luck, but at the end of the day, you know, just being in the right place at the right time and, and having people take a, a, an interest in me for whatever reason has been sort of the game changer for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, okay. Um, I apologize. Uh, Mike, uh, can you give us a, a, like a, a day of your life as an NFL broadcaster? What time do you get up? What time do you leave? And what time do you go home, et cetera? Okay. So, um, you know, Stephen, you're asking me a question that is a little bit more difficult to answer today because it was the first time in all week I will be getting up at 2 a.m. to get to the studio at 3 a.m. So that that's rare, though. This is the first time I've done it. So the fact that, you know, I was it's 5.38 Pacific time right now, and I am still awake is somewhat shocking to me at this point. Um, you know, but but guys, I'll be honest, like I, I've really, I've been kind of all over the map um, at NFL Network, and it's been, you know, a really cool uh, existence so far. You know, when they had hired me, I was on a deal where I was able to work from home. I did a little bit of reporting for them. And then, you know, Ken, we were talking about sort of luck before, you know, when the 49ers had the third pick in, in the draft last year, I happened to be in the Bay Area and they had given me a call. One of my bosses said, hey, do you know you want to cover, you know, the Niners for us and do the draft? So, of course, what's your answer? No, like, hell yeah. Like, yeah, I want to do it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you know, the problem for me was, you know, I, I haven't really been a reporter. You know, Ken, you'd made reference for some of the stops that I've been at. And, you know, my first TV job was at NBA TV. And I've always been sort of a studio guy. So when they called and they asked me, I was like, you know, you say yes. And you know, you hope that you're going to do the best job you can. I know the effort was going to be there. I wasn't, I wasn't going to slack, but at the same time, it's not like I have a ton of sources been working in college football, you know, for the last decade. And then I realized, well, there's a lot of people in college football who know the NFL people and the NFL people know the college people. So there's, there's going to be some tie-ins there. And, you know, you just start working the phones. And so they, they've had me, you know, Stephen doing some reporting. I got to do the NFL PA collegiate game a couple of weeks ago. got the call that said, Hey, can you go to Vegas for the East West Shrine game? I said, sure. You know, so I end up uh, in Vegas for a week to do some of that stuff. I've had opportunities to do total access and, and I did a Super Bowl live show, which is crazy to me. That was my first experience doing anything Super Bowl related in my career. So that was that was pretty cool. You know, that old phrase, guys, um, in sports, it, it, outside of sports, they always say, oh, this is like our Super Bowl. And then when you work at NFL Network, you say, oh, it's actually the Super Bowl, which is what <laughs> we do. So it was, um, it, you know, a really exciting time. But, um, you know, the short of it, Stephen, is just to just kind of be ready for whatever assignment comes my way. Uh, one thing that uh, you just, as you mentioned, uh, finally coming down from a very busy week, the NFL Network had a had an opportunity to have what's, what was known as a home Super Bowl because you guys are based <sighs> – at SoFi Stadium, people may not know that, but you're in the in the same park uh, as SoFi Stadium, so you guys really didn't have to move. It's usually every every year you guys set foot and set base yeah. camp for a couple of weeks, 
in the home of the Super Bowl, whatever host city that's going to be this year. It was in Los Angeles. What was it like to like saying, I, I get to sleep in my own bed? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I get to drive to the studio and do my normal commute for a week and have a special time for the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's, you know, you're, you hit the nail on the head there, Ken, because I think a lot of people were so comfortable with the fact that this is sort of our backyard. But yet at the same time, our studios are are brand new. And I don't know if you guys have had an opportunity to to make it out to the West Coast. But when you do, please give me a call and I'll, I'll give you a tour. Oh, yeah. You will be floored <laughs> absolutely, by, absolutely. By, by what's there. I You know, I... I I had to do some shifts in, in Culver City where the old studios were. And I had a boss call me and he said, look, I'm glad you're coming to Culver just so that you know, you know, the difference between what it was and what, what it's going to be. And it's it's a remarkable place, guys. I mean, every time I'm in the building and I know there's a little bit of that new car smell, but every time I'm there, even at three in the morning, when I tell you I wasn't totally awake, but there is a sense of comfort and pride and, and being around an environment like that, um, that's, that's really unique. But, um, you know, Ken, you're right. Like people were pretty happy about that. Um, that the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of travel that was involved. I was doing some, some radio shows for Sirius XM on radio row and it was in the LA convention center. And I'm still, look, when I was in, in the Bay area in San Francisco, I walked to work. Okay. Like I live close to kind of a walking town. Yep. Everyone's yep. like, Oh, you're going to be driving in Los Angeles and the whole thing. You know, I'm still trying to figure out these traffic patterns. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I'm headed to Pasadena for the NIFL PA Collegiate Bowl. I mean, that that traffic was no joke. But to even get, you know, yeah. I look at, you know, my phone without, you know, Google Maps, I'm screwed, right? You know, I put it in and I'm like, oh, it's like seven miles from where I live to the convention center. No big deal. And it was taking over an hour sometimes to get down there. And I'm like, okay, what everyone has talked about is, is sort of crazy. So, Ken, for as much as I think people enjoyed sleeping in their own bed, if I happen to be in a hotel, Hell, really close to where Radio Row is going to be, that might have been a little bit more uh, comforting in the morning. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it is nice to be in a, in a normal routine. Uh, full disclosure: I used to live in SoCal myself uh, oh, back you know in the eighties and nineties. You know, um, I lived in the Torrance Redondo Palos Verdes. Oh yeah, yeah we're we're like neighbors then. Where <laughs> so. yeah, and uh, you know, Gardena. I went to a dentist. Uh, uh, Japanese dentist there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I drove through Inglewood a few times to, you know, go yeah. see a game and exhibition matches and stuff like that. I know, you know, Inglewood obviously kind of, uh, somewhat of a, you know, CD, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, very, uh, dangerous area in some areas, obviously yeah. for many old school fans, they'll probably remember watching the Lakers game, obviously, you know, the great Western forum, forum yeah. uh, there. And then, uh, obviously, the stadium that used to be the uh what was it the hollywood park right so hollywood park is where sofi and, oh, yeah. and nfl network is uh currently but steven you're right i mean i think the the perception and the persona and this is a guy that just you know i, I just moved down here mid-december but that was sort of the aura um you'd be surprised though because it sounds like it's been a little bit since you've been down there there's certainly some areas that are you know it's not like i'm hanging out in the middle of the night and you know it's sure. really looking over my shoulder a little bit, but you'd be surprised how much up and coming uh, aspects of Englewood there really is, especially with NFL Network, with SoFi Stadium, even my, my path on, once I get off the highway, there's a lot of new buildings that are going up. There's a brand new Starbucks there. So you get your, your, your coffee still on the way into work. Um, you know, so there, it, there are some things that just built the target, you know, and I think the whole point is to invest some dollars into that community to sort of, you know, lift it up. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier, Mike, about, representation and how when you were growing yeah. up there wasn't too many 
um, Asians on TV, but who were the role models for you growing up? And what is it like when you talk to younger, younger people now who maybe Asians wanted to get into TV, who finally yeah. say, look, I, I, I'm looking, I'm watching you now on NFL network as I want to get into this business. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's crazy because to your point, Ken, there, there wasn't many of us that were, uh, you know, certainly on air. And I, I think to be totally candid with you, I don't think I realized, I realized pretty late in life that, that this was a job, but I think a lot of it had to do with seeing Michael Kim on, on ESPN mm, and ESPN right. News would be able to catch him. And, you know, I always call him kind of the godfather for, for, um, you know, Asian American broadcasters. And I'll never forget, you know, when I got hired there, you know, he's such a humble guy. And, you know, I was in my cubicle, it was my first week there. And, and, you know, next thing I know, I hear someone say, Hey, Mike, and I turn around, it's Michael Kim, and he puts out his hand, he shakes, and he's like, Hey, I'm Michael Kim, I want to be like, dude, like, are you? Yeah, I know who you are. You know, it's like, you know, it's like the same thing with, you know, when I was in makeup, and, and Chris Mullen introduced himself, I'm like, dude, like, you don't need to introduce yourself, bro. Like, I get it. But, um, you know, it goes to show you sort of that, that level of, of humility that both of those guys have. And I think, you know, the really cool thing about Michael is Michael Kim, that is, is he, he, he never made mistakes. I mean, he, he'd probably tell you like, you know, of course there are shows that, that, you know, there's, there's an issue here and there, but I, just like this, just so even so smooth. And, and I got to do a lot of shows with him, which was sort of a thrill for me over the years. Um, but Ken, you know, I, I think one of the, the, the sad realities of this business right now is last 10 years or so, right. Pac-12 network being able to, to speak to the 12, you know, different campuses. And I, I got to speak to a lot of journalism students in some great schools, whether it's Annenberg at USC, Cronkite at ASU, like there's, there's a real passion right. on the West coast for broadcasting and, and guys, like, I think it was, it was sort of sad. I think in, in my almost 10 years, maybe I had two Asian American students um, on all those campuses in those journalism classes. And like, that was a little deflating to see if I was being totally honest with you. So I always get worried about that pipeline and that next generation. It's how do you fuel that pipeline? And I think a lot of it comes down to storytelling and being introduced to not only the idea of like, hey, sports and a career in broadcast is, is a viable opportunity, but I also think it's important sure. for representation on the athletic side, right? Um, Taylor Rapp comes to mind. I know we've been, I, I'm sure you guys have been talking about it and thinking about it a lot with Linsanity and that, that 10 year anniversary, yes. and how pivotal yes. that was, I think for the Asian American community to see an Asian American who spoke English, who was balling out, you mm -hmm. know, just, just crushing teams coming down the floor. And in a lot of ways rejuvenized, you know, the New York city market. I, you know, I grew up a Knicks fan on that side. I was working at ESPN that, at that time when Linsanity mm -hmm. was going around and, you know, my dad, for example, who was born in Hong Kong, he's not a sports fan. Like he's just, he's not like, I always kind of joke. If you put Michael Jordan and Mike Tyson, you know, together, he, he probably could tell you who was who, but you know, <laughs> I wouldn't bet money on it. Um, but I remember when Lynn Sanity was happening, like he was calling pretty much on a daily basis to either tell me what Jeremy Lynn did, which like I said, you know, Jordan Tyson, and he already knew the numbers for Jeremy Lin, which was really cool, or to just talk to me about it. So I, I think about those moments and and how crucial they were. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg of, of what's to come, at least, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that is. Right. I want to piggyback on that uh, question that Ken asked about the representation. Obviously, um, Michael Silver, who probably used to, who used to work for the NFL uh, uh, media, had a bombshell story that once he joined the uh, Valley Sports after um, – you know, the Texans uh, chairman slash owner, Cam McNair, making jokes about, you know, uh, China virus, uh, that he withheld the story for several months after he left the net, uh, the NFL media. Um, 
you know Mina Kimes, you know Pablo yeah. Torre, obviously. Yeah. They have uh, yeah. obviously carved their own niche, and they, they have also, you know, have uh, made a, a strong presence through hard work and their dedication. But uh, Ken and I obviously have had some, uh, you know, conversations initially in our in our debut show that, that maybe, you know, people like Mina, despite her being on the NFL live every single day, even during this offseason, you know, people like her have probably haven't done enough to speak out on the, uh, a, you know, raise awareness of our, uh, you know, within our community. You know, we're not trying to, uh, you know, attack Mina for the sake of attacking, but, you know, for people like you and uh, Mina, obviously, you know, representations do matter. And, uh, sure. you know, we want, we, 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 you know, with the NFL obviously being somewhat so nonchalant about, you know, what uh, Cam McNair said, and yet they're being, you know, bombarded with the uh, Brian Flores lawsuits about, you know, lack of representation in the coaching and sure. the front office. It seems like, you know, I don't know. Do you feel like you feel being uh, an afterthought, you know, being an Asian American working for the NFL network and obviously the league's uh, stance on the, you know, uh, about things like this? Yeah. You know, I can tell you from a a personal standpoint, that perception, I think, uh, you know, just sort of being an afterthought, so to speak, I, I don't know. You know, I think that's that's I think a lot of people in the community would tell you that that a lot of times they feel like that. I would I would imagine that I wouldn't be the only one who who would have similar feelings to the ones that you have, Stephen, about, you know, different spots, different newsrooms that they've worked in. Um, You know, I'll I'll be honest, though. I mean, I was hired during covid at NFL Network. Um, I lived in San Francisco uh, for, like I said, almost the last decade or so. And I think when I look at how that city had changed when I think about the attacks that were happening really. And I grew up in the Northeast. I went to college in New York city. So that's still home for me. So my last two real homes that I continue to consider in terms of living, you know, those were inundated with attacks on the Asian American community. There right. were moments over the last you know couple of years where I just didn't totally feel safe. I went to school in the Bronx. Um, I would go home off of like the four train or the D train in the middle of the night and not be as worried as I was, you know, a couple of years ago working, walking in broad daylight. Um, now, part of it has to do with the fact that I'm, I'm now 40 uh, versus when I was like 21 and didn't think there, you know, I didn't have a care in the world. But, you know, the point is like the, the environment's changed. And I think, you know, to circle back to your original question, you know, I say that to highlight when I got to NFL Network there was obviously and there still are a lot of attacks in the asian american community against defenseless individuals and to their credit you know i I had posted pre-covid um you know an article about immigration because i had seen you know a lot of the stories about families that were getting separated and to me that was heartbreaking i think about my family's path you know we can get into it if you want but you know i I wrote that piece and i you know was on medium right and i went to my bosses at nfl network and said hey like, I think this is really important. This is something I want to write about. Happy to do it, you know, on my own platforms. But if, if this is something that you guys want to include in your coverage on, on dot com, like, I'm happy to, you know, to send it to you guys and we can post it there. And, you know, candidly, I would tell you, I was hoping they would say yes. But I'm a brand new employee, haven't met anyone in person. And to their credit, like that, 
the answer was yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And they let me go and use their platform. And look, NFL.com is is as popular a site as you're going to get, um, you know, from a sports perspective. So, you know, Stephen, for me, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, hey, like, I feel like an afterthought. They've um, allowed me to use and leverage their platforms to speak about something that to me, I'm really passionate about because I think it's really important. Um, because I just don't think there's enough conversation about it. And I, I've said this before, I think the conversations are vastly different in the Asian American community about these attacks, because I think, and this is the disappointing thing, I, I think the conversations are mostly within our own community as opposed to other communities talking about it. Um, and that to me is why it's really important to use and leverage something like NFL.com to speak out about it. But, you know, and, and just one other point, and I don't want to ramble about this even, but um, I had a conversation with, with someone about this a while ago, and I, I do think it's important to recognize, like, I might be disappointed, you might be disappointed that someone's not using their platform to speak out. Um, and I think there were times when I'm like, man, like, there's some people who've got, you know, I, way more followers than I have and way more notable and, and are doing these great shows and are like, you know, sort of like the, the Mount Rushmore in the community. But then, you know, I'm like, why aren't they saying a little bit more? Like, damn, like you guys have, you know, that power to, sure. you know, to create more of a conversation. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, maybe it's just, just not, they're not comfortable with it and it's not mm -hmm. their time. And I don't want to judge and say, hey, because you have this following, you should do this because it maybe just doesn't come off genuine. Um, you know, and I think part of it too is like from a cultural standpoint, like what were we told? At least I was. Do right. hard work, put your head right. down, grind it yeah, out, yeah. don't complain. Right. And I think that's a part of what this the model minority is. Yeah, I think I think breaking out of that is um is really hard. And it's almost like to talk about this stuff is the exact opposite of like from a cultural standpoint where we're at and also what we were kind of raised and taught to do. So mm -hmm. um yeah, I, I'm always I'm always you know, I'd love to see it, but I'm I'm also very cognizant of the fact that maybe just people aren't always as, as comfortable with speaking out. You mentioned, uh, Mike, is that, um, and by the way, speaking with Mike Yam of the NFL Network, got to mention that, of course, and you see his uh, Twitter handle right there, uh, right there on the screen as well. Um, Mike, you also mentioned coming from an immigrant family, Stephen, myself, you have all had that experience of being the first generation here in the United States. What was that like to, and I, I can speak from my own experience yeah. being a sports fan and not having the parents saying, why aren't you, why don't you go into medicine? Why don't you being a scientist? Why don't you do something? Why don't you go to Harvard? Why are you disappointing me by going yeah. to the university of Rhode Island? <laughs> what was it like to be, to be that, um, have that experience as a sport, as, as a first generation sports fan of the family? Yeah, Rams versus Rams, Ford yeah. Rams for Rams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, you know, it's really it, to your point, Ken. It is it's a unique experience, right? Because it's it's challenging when you're going up against like these cultural norms. And I think a lot of it is, hey, look at the sacrifices of the previous generations. Look at what they had to do, and you're going to go and do what? Because that right. doesn't sound all that safe. And right. um, you know, I would always joke, and and I would joke even you know years after the fact. You know, after I graduated Fordham. I, I was very fortunate. I was able to get radio work pretty quickly at, at Sirius Radio and, you know, was able to work my way up and I was doing stuff on ESPN Radio and then NBA TV. But in that time, I, I mean, it was almost like weekly. You know, if I was talking to my parents, it'd be, are you going back to grad school? When are you going back to grad school? <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working up. I'm working. You know, it, it'll be okay. And it wasn't until when I was working at NBA TV, they would uh, take the fantasy show that I was doing, or the the other like 
you know, show of record that night and they would put that on the yes network. So all of a sudden some, right. you know, family friends would start seeing the show and then that would trickle down. So maybe it was bi-weekly the asks about going to, to grad school. So it started to slow down and then I got the job at ESPN and then it really started to slow. Um, and then I stopped hearing about going back to grad school. The odd thing is I actually took a grad school class at the university of Hartford because I thought about going to get my master's and then I ended up getting an opportunity at PAC 12. So I, I left uh, that area and I didn't go back, but the appreciation from an educational standpoint, as I got a little bit older, I did appreciate those, that class time a little bit more than I did when I was at Fordham. <laughs> Mike, uh, let's kind of look back at the uh, the NFL this past year. Yeah. Obviously, you know, the Rams won the Super Bowl as they were somewhat expected to. Oh. What stood out to you um, about the NFL this past year? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot. Uh, the fact that the Rams went for it and it paid off because right. we've seen teams in a variety of sports do similar things to what the Rams had done, which is, you know, make some marquee trades, sign some notable free agents, and it doesn't always play out that way. So the fact that they were able to get to the Super Bowl uh, with some of the issues, because I think there were some chemistry issues down the stretch. I mean, Matthew Stafford at times played really well, and he was, you know, came on like gangbusters in, in the playoffs. So those last couple games of the regular season, he was throwing some picks. So that became uh, at least a cause for concern uh, on my end. Um, but across the board, I think that the, the one thing that also struck me was, this look Tom Brady as he exits that's one thing uh, Aaron Rodgers still sort of at this peak at a really elevated age but yet still one of the best in, in the league but I think about the young crop of of quarterbacks and the future of this league at that position which by all accounts I mean we always think about you know the NFL to have success you have to have a good quarterback I mean there's outlier situations there but at, holistically that's got to be the, the fundamental cornerstone of every organization and I think across the board about some of the young pieces that we have whether it's the rookie quarterbacks and I know Mac Jones you know started out hot and cooled a little bit but just think about Josh Allen what he was able to do Burrow certainly comes to mind you know maybe if Baker Mayfield is healthy he's still a guy uh Lamar Jackson who if he's healthy is still a dude uh you know I, I just think about these pieces Justin Herbert from the Chargers Patrick Mahomes how can I forget about him Derek Carr you know signing potentially a new massive deal and, and what he can do for for that organization you know Dak Prescott when he's healthy we saw Dallas Flash but the point is there's so many great quarterbacks that are I, I don't even know if they've totally hit their peak so I, I just think about that game between the Chiefs and, and the Bills, how entertaining that was. And the idea that we could be getting that on a somewhat regular basis on Sundays or Thursdays or Mondays, like to me, is a really cool thing. And I, I think we're seeing that foundation right now uh, for a lot of those for a lot of those franchises in the league. Uh, Mike, you've also seen, uh, as you mentioned, you're at, at the Pac-12 Network, saw that pipeline from and a lot of kids that you were covering over the last 10 years yeah. are now in the, in the league and playing on Sundays when they were playing on Saturdays. What's it like when you see a, a kid that you saw uh, playing at Stanford or playing for Oregon or playing at Arizona, making it in the NFL and saying, wow, I, I, I remember when I saw this kid. I love it. I love it. I, I think one of the coolest parts, Ken, about that job was, you know, we were owned by the universities. So it was a little different, you know, in terms of the makeup. So your relationships and the access that you had as a broadcaster was just different versus whether if I was working at Fox or an ESPN and covering some of those teams and just being on those campuses and developing relationships with those coaches and those players. So when you, when you say to me, like, what's it like to see some of those guys thrive? 
I got to tell you, it is, it is awesome, especially the ones that you got to know when they were a little bit younger, because you don't always get access to, you know, freshmen and sophomores, you know, because you're just not, they're not playing at that level. So it's, you know, juniors and seniors that you're usually talking to, but when you can see a kid grow over time and then become a pro or you know his backstory, or you met his parents because you were doing a road show and they came over and they said, oh, you know, we're watching, you know, what you guys are doing. Like, to me, that connection uh, is awesome. And it was one of the coolest things, still one of the things that I miss the most. But, you know, I still feel like I'm an honorary member of that league and all 12 of those teams because I still root for, I root for all the coaches, I root for all those players. And it is, it's really, I see them have success. Because I also do know, that it is different in that league when you talk about the academic side of things and how demanding some of those institutions are day to day for some of those student athletes. And it's not the same across the board. The Big Ten's got some some really, uh, really great universities as well. But I, I do think that some other programs and some other conferences don't have necessarily the same demands. So mm -hmm. that to me just gives them a little bit more street cred. Mm. All right, before we let you go, let's do some yeah. you know rapid fire questions uh, yeah. this upcoming off season. Aaron Rodgers, is he staying or going? Uh, staying, staying. I think they'll, they'll figure out the money. And look, <laughs> I mean, every single year, and this is rapid fire, but they're consistently one of the best teams in the league. So unless there's another spot for him where they can compete sure. like that, I, I think he's staying. Before I uh, we go to the next question, I'll let you continue that, Stephen. Our next guest is going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, the lead yeah. who from yeah, Fox yeah, Great transit. I'm very glad you mentioned <laughs> that. So go ahead, Stephen. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging tight after to, to get the take. Absolutely. Jimmy G, where is he, where is he going, in your opinion? Uh, he, he won't be wearing a Niners uniform mm -hmm. that, that I know for sure. Um, and it's, I almost feel bad now just because of the success that he's had with that organization, getting to the yeah. Super Bowl and, you know, kind of knocking on the door, even this year. Um, God, I, I you know, I, I, I wouldn't even venture a guess on where he could go. I do in my mind, there's something about that Pittsburgh sort of vibe and being a placeholder if they decide to go in the draft and go young with the quarterback spot you know although then maybe jimmy's doing the same thing that he did in san francisco <laughs> which is getting getting another quarterback behind him ready to start playing tom brady. Of, uh, oh, go ahead ken sorry tom brady coming back yes or no and will he replace jimmy g it's a wrap it's a wrap i don't buy it for a second um giselle says you're done you're done um I, <laughs> yeah. sorry right i mean think about all the hey i gotta spend time with my family you know the kids. that's code for sure you know, yeah. Life saying it's done it's done i had i had fun for a good you stole the goat you can still do his deal but he's not coming back we've been working to uh get uh, his agent done you for quite some time so hopefully yeah. maybe he can uh if if he's willing to come on to our show uh, hopefully he can fill us in on the uh, the stories. That's that's must listen because you guys yeah, will get the real story behind that retirement. Yeah, yes. So. yeah, absolutely. Russell Wilson is he staying or going? I, God, I want to say he stays just because mm. I, I think there's something mm. really cool about when look he wasn't healthy this year, and when he right. is, like, I, there's a part of me that says, hey, can Seattle put put more pieces around him, and can they thrive? Can they figure out some of those defensive issues? But at the end of the day, Russell's calculated. I don't think he does this now back-to-back -back off seasons where like there's comments uh, and it was obviously more so last year. But I think because of that, there's a part of me that says he's not going to be with those guys. And uh, I have to ask you, since I'm a URI Rams fan and you're a Fordham Rams uh, and uh, we're both in the same conference, uh, Fordham, people talk about the Syracuse Illuminati, but oh. Fordham – 
has a great pipeline. You start with Mike Breen. You start with all the people who have come out of Fordham. Um, talk a little bit about that Fordham pipeline. It is, Ken, you just put that on a T for me. Look, Syracuse is like, you know, at least double the size. They got two radio stations on that campus. They got all these kids going through that program pound for pound. There is not a better broadcast school in the country than Fordham. You mentioned Mike Green. We got the voice of the Knicks. We got the voice of the Yankees and Michael Kay. We got the Brooklyn Nets voice and Chris Carino. We got the voice of the Giants and Bob Papa. The list goes on and on. And I've got Spiro Adidas. We got Tony Real, my man, Andy Bogish. Like there, there's enough names uh, that have had success over the years. And look, I mean, it goes really at the top. And how can I forget about Vin Scully, right? I mean, the original OG oh, yeah, when it comes to the, the, those those broadcasters, it is, it's an incredible program. It changed my life. The opportunities that I had there were second to none. I mean, you get thrown into the mix. It's funny, you mentioned Syracuse. I still talk to, you know, in Sirius, we have some interns and, and some of them that go through that program. And it's funny to hear about their path and how much time it takes for them to earn a spot on air. And, you know, we had to earn it as well, but we just didn't have the, the sheer volume that they did. I mean, I was, I was a freshman getting opportunities on air. And I think about how valuable those reps were uh, early on in my career and, and how it shaped me. So I can't say enough good things. It's a public radio station. I got to cover the Knicks. We got credentials for all the New York teams. It was, it was awesome. And Kyle Neptune is now turning around this basketball program to the point where we're hovering around 500 at the end of February. I'll take that. Hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully, it just gets better because we we are we are good broadcasters. We need better better ballers, is what we absolutely. Need, so. um, absolutely, Mike Yam. Um, we're going to have you back. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about URI and Fordham, the Rams versus Rams, as we get uh, we'll, on the line. We'll get it going. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, it was it's awesome to be with you guys. Really appreciate the invite. Appreciate what you guys are trying to accomplish as well. And uh, make sure Lily gives you the the four one one on on uh, Aaron Rodgers. I need to hear. Okay. It. Absolutely. absolutely. Hope Absolutely. to see you in the uh, West Coast, Mike. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, anytime, guys. Anytime. Absolutely. And Mike Yama of the NFL Network, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you, we'll have Lily Tao of coming up from Fox 6 in Milwaukee talking about the Green Bay Packers and a little guy named Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about him. Not little, it's actually, but <laughs> little, you know what I mean. That's coming up next on the Double uh, A team as we continue here on the Barroom Network. Coming up next. <laughs> So you got Kyle Hendricks, Marcus Stroman. They're the one-two for sure. Then you got Wade Miley, Adbert Alzali, a couple other guys trying to make that rotation and be the fifth starter. What do you make of the rotation as a whole? Because to me, they're a very underrated rotation that can lead to the Cubs actually having a fair amount of success. I know they got a long way to go with their starting lineup and the offense with after you know some of the moves that have been made over the last year or so. But, man, that rotation has a chance to be really good. Bringing in Wade Miley was a solid move. Yeah, I mean, that kind of veteran presence. And Jed Hoyer talked about, like, yeah, we have these young, exciting pitchers, but you can't build a pitching staff just around young, exciting guys. So you get veterans in him and then Kyle Hendricks. I think a lot hinges, because we kind of know where those top three in the rotation are going to be from year to year, where the Cubs ceiling really hinges is at the bottom of that rotation and which of those young guys can really click and really grow. I mean, we've seen Alzali grow from year to year, but he still is working on new pitches and, and 
really trying to reach that ceiling, which I don't think we quite know where that's going to be yet. And we're back on the double A team here on the Barroom Network. Great stuff with uh, Mike Yam, Stephen. I tell you, he came in like a ball of fire today. Absolutely. You know, it was well worth the wait for, uh, you know, for us to have Michael. Um, he's obviously works for the network. He knows a lot about the league. Uh, he's one of the few people who are obviously API people working in the industry. And it was so great to hear his perspective. Uh, working for the network, his background and the uh, API issues, representations, everything else in between. And uh, let's talk about to another person in the API community, uh, covers football. Another person with, I've been lobbying to have this person on for quite some time. I'm glad she's right. on with it now. Lily Zhao of Fox 6 in Milwaukee, uh, covers <laughs> the Green Bay Packers. Uh, been covering the Packers for quite some time. And earlier this season, we had on our new best friend, Melissa Kim, who is now with the Baltimore Ravens. She talked, she, she raved about you as well, Lily. So great to have you on. Uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for bringing me on. It's a pleasure. Um, you know, I loved hearing Mike talk. I, I love Melissa and all the work she's doing with the Ravens. So it is amazing to have representation in the world of sports. And I love what you guys are doing here as well. So thank you again for having me on. Thank you so much. And um, I was joking earlier with Steve and said Packers are just so boring these last seasons. <laughs> uh, so many, uh, so, I mean, nothing ever happens at Green Bay, especially with Aaron Rodgers. I, I know that's uh, being a little sarcastic, but uh, I'm telling you, it, it just, just like the NFL in its, on its own is a 24-7 beat. The Packers are themselves around their own 24-7 beat, literally. They really are. And, you know, this is a team that when you're from a place like Green Bay, Wisconsin, that's kind of all you have. You just have Packers football. You have once Packers football is done, you have the offseason, the Packers football, you have the combine, you have the draft. So it's basically, you know, 365 deal there in Green Bay. Um, and, and now with the future of the quarterback and kind of where his journey lies and, and that's, you know, now that the season's over and we've had a couple weeks to digest you know, not making the Super Bowl again. It's uh, now the question of where where is he going to go? And maybe this week we'll have a decision. We're not sure yet, but we're all we're all ready to go if he, if he does make a decision like tomorrow. Right. What is it like to cover him in uh, Green Bay as, you know, from an AAPF perspective? Obviously, Wisconsin is not exactly known for, you know, its diversity. And, uh, you know, we've we touched with my, Michael about lack of representation, even within the NFL and the media itself. Yeah, I will say when I first, you know, I've been covering this team since 2015, so for a long time now. And I will say one year where there actually was representation was the year that, you know, me and Melissa Kim, she was in Madison, I was in Green Bay. Uh, we had Josh Tolentino, who covers the Eagles now. Um, mm -hmm. He was also on the beat for the Athletic covering the Packers. And that one year was the one year where we had three Asian Americans cover one team, which was, I don't think, ever heard of in Wisconsin. And, <laughs> you know, sadly, that's not the case anymore. I, it's just me uh, now in Wisconsin holding it down for uh, everybody. But um, it is it, very rare. I mean, it is in, it's in West. It comes with the territory. But I would like to see 
um, you know, Asian Americans trying to come this way because the sports here are good. You know, I know, you know, there's a lot of Asian Americans on the East Coast, the West Coast, in the South as well, but not a lot of us here in the Midwest and, you know, good sports teams to cover. It's, it is cold. I'm from the Midwest, so I'm used to it. Um, but it'd be nice just to see more faces like me here. Um, so I'm just trying to hold it down for, for everybody here in Wisconsin. <laughs> you mentioned Green Bay, and of course you were in Green Bay uh, covering you for the, the station that uh, WFRV is there. So what was it like living there 24-7, living, breathing Packers, living, breathing that beat, and also hosting your own show there? Yeah, I, I will say I love that job. Um, it, it was a job where I got to travel. I got to cover every single Packers game. I, I hosted a show, like you mentioned, every week talking about the Packers. So it was just kind of um, an overload of, of information. But again, I loved it because, you know, pre-COVID, we were in the locker room. We were creating these relationships with players that we sadly don't have now. You know, it, everything now is via Zoom. And I know a lot of people have talked about who cover sports. It's it's changing the landscape of covering sports, especially on, on the local market side, has changed drastically because of the pandemic. And now it's all on Zoom. But I will say, just back in my time in Green Bay, it was – you know, because I was hosting a show, because I had players on that show from the team, it was I was creating a different kind of relationship that you wouldn't normally get at another kind of, of station because you're not having that one-on-one -on -one access all the time. And I will say, luckily for me, when I started in Green Bay, I created a really great relationship with Aaron Jones, you know, Pro Bowl running back for this team. And luckily that's carried over into my time here in Milwaukee because he does post-game shows with us as well. James Jones, former Packer, does post-game shows with us as well. So I've been able to cultivate those relationships here in Milwaukee, but in Green Bay, it was just, you live, you breathe Packers football. I mean, it was, like I mentioned, you know, the start of the season, preseason, training camp, going before that, the draft, the combine, it's 365. There's always something going on. You know, you have the, the Packers brass are talking, the players are talking, they're doing their off-season charity work. You cover that as well. So it's not always 100% football here because a lot of these guys have charities they have things that they host outside of um lambeau field and so we were covering that as well but getting to know those guys on a very personal level was super fun for me and who knows when it's going to get back to that if ever in the nfl at least just having that access in the locker room and i, I know we've talked about aaron Rodgers a little bit earlier but i will say you know when i first got there uh aaron's locker is the closest locker to kind of uh, the doorway in the locker room and the amount of people there for a Wednesday Aaron Rodgers media availability was something like you'll never see. It was just the sea of people, and especially when it was playoff time. I mean, that, that scrum got so big, but it was just such a different atmosphere now than it were back then than it is now. But I miss it. I miss it, guys. But it was, it was fun. It was fun. Is uh... – is Aaron Rodgers, you know, we the Bears fans, myself included, we, we have a lot of feelings about, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Um, is Aaron Rodgers being misunderstood or is just is just that's who he is? You know, whether he's a jerk or not, he probably doesn't give a you know what. And, you know, he just basically beats to his own drum. Is that is that who he is, basically? You know what? He's a guy that I don't think he ever says anything he doesn't mean. I will say having covered him for the last, what? eight, seven, seven years now, the man says what he means and there's never really any sort of wishy-washiness behind it, if that makes any sort of sense. You know, he has his own opinions. He's entitled to those opinions and, you know, whether or not people agree with them or not, it's 
that's just what he thinks. And that was what we covered for a long time. You know, his, his views on A, B, and C, we had to cover those. And, you know, whether we agree with them or not, that's that's what we had to do in terms of, you know, the local coverage. But um, again, he doesn't he doesn't say anything he doesn't mean. So that's that. And uh, I know his, you know, we it kind of came into light, though, when uh, his MVP voting came up. Um, and, and there was one writer that said, I'm not going to vote for him because he's not a good person and right. his opinion. And, and that was debated here as well. And, you know, great player has some thoughts that might not be agreeable with other people, but still Aaron Rodgers. We still got to cover him here. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that you've gone from going from, we heard from relax to all the way now to be having appearances on the Pat McAfee show and Lily, I follow you. So I see those tweets. So what is it like having to even call quotes from another show from that's on the internet and very popular on Twitter as well? Yeah. And that's just what's so different because of the pandemic. It's again, we don't have an in-person interaction with him. So it's, we can't even ask him those questions if we wanted to, because everything is very regimented in terms of our access to him on those media days. So now that he has a different platform where he can be more relaxed and kind of talk like he normally would talk, not that he doesn't talk normally with us, but just a more relaxed forum, I should say. And he you know, can talk about a variety of topics that we normally wouldn't be able to ask him in a regular media setting. It's been a very different experience covering him the last, what, two years now that he's done Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays on the Pat McAfee show, because we're kind of always on alert of what's he going to say? You know, what's mm -hmm. he going to unveil? What's he going to, what, anecdote what story is he going to put out there that we can potentially ask him the next day um mm -hmm. and now with covid and all those issues that he's talked about you know that was another thing that we were very hyper focused on and now with the future of what he's going to do and he did say you know he wants to be in indianapolis on the pat McAfee show explaining if he's retiring getting traded or or just leaving um or i'm sorry or staying we're kind of all hyper-focused now. So now there's a tweet that Pat McAfee tweeted out saying he is a big guest for tomorrow. So mm. now the, the senses are tingling. Well, is it Aaron Rodgers or are we going to have to wait another week or so? So it, it's been def definitely very different having to cover him on that show as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. From covering him uh, the last couple of years, where where do you think his head or his mind is right now? Does he want to stay or is he plotting another exit strategy? Uh, maybe not as dramatic as last year, but obviously Nathaniel Hackett going to Denver, obviously there's a connection there. Um, you know, Luke Getze, who he was very, very high, you know, obviously is the Bears' new offensive coordinator. And we'll get to that in a little bit later before the end of the show. But um, what do you think he wants to do? That is the million dollar question, Stephen. <laughs> I think a lot of us have speculated, you know, does he retire? I, I don't think he's going to retire. Does he ask for a trade? If so, does he go to Denver? Does he follow his former offensive coordinator out there? Or does he stay? I, I, I think there's a lot of optimism here, at least, that he will right. return. Um, you know, there, the report's saying that there's optimism between him and the front office. Those talks have gone a lot better than they have in the past. And then, you know, the reports of, of the Packers going all in to keep him in terms of potentially doing an extension. Um, and then, of course, them hiring Tom Clements, you know, to be quarterback's coach. He was a guy that was with Rodgers, a very influential coach in Rodgers' career early on when he won his only Super Bowl. So when they bring in a guy like that, it's 
are they going all in to try and keep him? The signs are all there that this team wants him back. You know, Matt LaFleur, the head coach, has said time and time again, we'd be foolish not to want him back. I think there are a lot more signs saying he's going to stay. But again, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. He might have, you know, when he heard the MVP speech, he thanked everybody, the Packers front office, the fans for 17 great years. So was that kind of his good his goodbye speech to Green Bay? I don't know. I, I don't think he'll retire, but I think there's a little bit more optimism that he's going to return. But at this point, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, let's talk a little. I asked this about uh, to Mike earlier. Um, what was it like for your journey? I mean, I asked him about what the role models were for him as he got into the business. What was it like for you? It was definitely different because, you know, growing up when I was very young, there were not a lot of just females in general on TV, let alone Asian American, mm-hmm. you know, men or women on TV. So it was a different, different, you know, experience growing up. But I know, you know, Mike talked about Michael Kim. He was one of those guys that I really looked up to because I said, you know, somebody that looks like me can make it on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just was one of those, those forefront guys, Kevin Nagandi, I love as well. And mm-hmm. they're so good at their jobs and they're such a great you know, representation of, of everybody here that those are kind of those role models that I looked up to. And then you look at the women. I, I mean, honestly, at this point in time in covering the NFL, I will say, you know, these women in the NFL network, Stacey Dales, um, mm-hmm. Aditi, all those women, um, they empower women. And that's also very, very phenomenal because, you know, I do feel like we're in a business where it's very cutthroat, it's very competitive, but when you have women of those stature in, in those positions where they can help mentor, that's really been a big help. Um, I would say those women, Michael, Kevin really laid the foundation for kind of getting me into this. And, you know, granted, I grew up a, a sports fan, so I wanted to do this anyway. My dad got me into sports uh, right. Big Gators fan, even though I didn't really live in Florida. <laughs> um, so I always grew up loving football. And it just was very tough to see that there was really nobody that looked like me on TV. So, you know, the journey has been a long time coming. It's there's still a lot of you know steps to climb and where I ultimately want to go. But, um, you know, I, I do feel like I have a good foothold here in the Midwest. And it's been fun. It's been fun meeting everybody in, in you know, different AAJA groups and meeting those people in the industry that look like me better across the country. So yeah. it's, I, I think it's just phenomenal. The the community that we've all created here. Well, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. It's awesome. You know, we definitely would love to have more connections with the uh, AAJA community in some ways, because obviously there are a lot of people who are members that, uh, you know, who deserves uh, a lot of airtime and, you know, we love to, uh, have them on, not just talk about sports, but obviously their journey and the uh, current uh, AAPI racism and all that stuff as well. Um, You know, in our show opening, Ken and I obviously talked about the Winter Olympics and the number of Asian Americans who have, you know, certainly uh, made their marks in the Olympics this year. Um, and, And there's obviously Eileen Gu who was born here, but also represented the, uh, you know, China. There's also one other athlete that I'm escaping my name, unfortunately. Um, There were some articles, obviously, about having difficulty with their, you know, identity and and all that kind of stuff. Do you also encounter that, uh, you know, like identity, you yourself being an American, Chinese American? 
Yeah, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, I, I've had to navigate, especially, you know, I was born in the States, I've lived here my whole life. You know, I've been overseas only a handful of times just mm-hmm. with work and, you know, other factors that kind of go into it. And so it's hard because, you know, I, I again grew up in the Midwest. I went to school in Boston. So there's a lot more diversity in Boston. Sure. Um, finished school in California and LA. So there's more diversity out there. But, you know, when I'm growing up in a predominantly Midwestern area, you know, I, I will say I was very blessed in where I grew up. I'm from Indiana. Um, the community I had was very diverse. Um, so I was very fortunate to grow up with with people that looked like me and that people who you know, had very similar interests. And, you know, luckily my family is still very traditional. So my, my parents are cooking, you know, amazing home cooked meals. And, you know, now my comfort food these days is something my mom cooked. It's something traditional. So, you know, I will say growing up, it was, it was kind of hard because again, you want to, you want to blend in, you want to fit in with these kids that, you know, you think are cool in school. And so you want to do things that they want to do. But then, you know, I think the older I get, uh, you know, especially going off to college, you know, you're, you're getting your first job. You're not really kind of knowing where you're at in the world. And the one thing that kind of pulls you back is your culture, your tradition, you know, your favorite foods, your family. So, you know, it, it definitely was a struggle going, growing up, but now that I've kind of gotten past that phase, it's really about just re- really embracing everything. So, And of course we heard about what happened to uh, the St. Louis anchor uh, as well. Uh, and, and, uh, and now the hashtag very Asian has come about. And it's something that I know that's been important to me, especially when you hear about dumplings <laughs> and <laughs> other things as well. So what was it like for you to hear about something that happened in that situation, but also, galvanizing the AAPI community, especially in television and media. Yeah. So I, I, I've known Michelle, Michelle Lee, the, you know, the anchor that that happened to um, when she was here in Madison. So I've known her for a long time and she was always one of those women that I looked up to, you know, when she was here, it was around the 2015 mark when I first started in Wisconsin. And I'm like, there's an Asian American female on TV in Wisconsin. And she was so down there. She was so lovely. And I was fortunate to to be able to visit her when she worked in Seattle. And, you know, she gave us a tour of her station and she was so welcoming. And and to see that that happened to her, it was so discouraging. But I will say the kind of person that Michelle is, she's not going to let that get her down. And now that we we have seen this huge movement, I'm like, that's, you know, that's something only Michelle can make happen. But, you know, back to your question, though, it's, you know, we have traditions like other cultures. We have things that we eat that are different than what people predominantly in the U.S. eat. So you can't say that eating dumplings is, you know, you're being slandered, you know, you're slandering somebody else or whatever. And if anything, I think this whole movement has really opened people's eyes to what are dumplings? How do you make them? What do they taste like? Let's get them. I love that that, you know, the trend there with the food, because I think food brings people together, right? Absolutely. So when you're eating Absolutely. delicious food like dumplings, it's hard to, you know, really argue about that stuff. But I think that that very Asian trend is is really, really, really helpful in these times, especially when it's coming from Michelle, who's, you know, a personality on TV. So she can really spread the message. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. It's a positive message that she's obviously sending through in spite of, uh, you know, the uh, the attack that she did not deserve at all. Uh, I want to go back to the Packers again uh, for just a moment. I ask you about Luke Getzey. I think a lot of Bears fans, myself included, you know, uh, on this network, we're very, very curious about what Luke Getzey brings to the table and how much of an influence he brings uh, to the offense that was completely broken and embarrassed uh, under Matt Nagy. 
Um, what do you know about Coach Getze and uh, about, you know, do you have any stories about him? You know what? Unfortunately, I, I don't have any personal stories with him just because of, you know, he wasn't an offensive coordinator on the sure. Packers. So he wasn't, you know, really presented to the media. But, you know, I, I did get to meet him when he was first introduced on the team many, many years ago. Um, but what I can tell you, though, just from covering the team for the last couple of years with him on uh, on staff is that, you know, he, he really rose in the ranks, though. You know, he was hired early on and, and just kind of rose up and rose up. And I will say when Aaron Rodgers mentions your name as being somebody influential in his career, it means that you're doing something right. You know, he's mentioned Luke Getze. He's mentioned Nathaniel Hackett, who's now in Denver saying that both these guys deserve to be head coaches. And that's very high praise for a guy, you know, from a guy like Aaron Rodgers. So in a guy like Luke Getze, right. I mean, you're, you're tasking him with trying to figure out what do we do with Justin Fields? What do we, what do we do with this offense? that has been so stagnant quote unquote, the last couple of years, I think he's going to really find a balance and just find a way to make it work for Justin, because let's face it. He's the future of this franchise. They're going to have to make it work somehow. Right. Absolutely. utilize his abilities don't don't really hamper him just let him have not free reign of the offense but you gotta you gotta work to his skills he's great on the run he has a good arm mm-hmm. you just gotta make it work um and when you have a guy like alan robinson who's turning down the packers to stay in chicago gotta get the guy the ball um <laughs> so it, you know it's very i'm like you know watching these these past packers bears games yeah the defenses are always really good but it's like the offense sure. it's like Come on, guys. But I, I do think that having a guy like Luke will really help energize and regalvanize things in Chicago. So I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun for you guys. Hopefully it will be a more competitive uh, Packers-Bears <laughs> games going forward yeah. after uh, Matt Eberflus. And it would be kind of yeah. funny if uh, Allen Robinson ended up uh, leaving to go replace Devontae Adams. Is he leaving? Do you think he's done? Devontae? Yes. No, you know, in, in Green Bay, I just I just think they would be foolish to let a guy like him go. I think they're going to do everything they, that they can to keep him, franchise tag, whatnot, you know, even though that wouldn't be ideal. But I think they're going to do everything in their power to keep a guy like Devontae. Um, so I don't think he's I don't think he's leaving just yet. Who are the notable Packers do you think, like, you know, they're either leaving or being a cap casualty? Well, I think Zadarius Smith, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of been yeah, the big yeah. one this week yeah. you know when you're looking i will say he was one of those guys when he first came in and i i got to know him really well um phenomenal person great personality like so fun to interview so many good stories it just was unfortunate with his injury and, and the cap and everything that you know he scrubbed all the packers off the social media so it's kind of he's going to be a realistic cut casualty um Excited to see where he's going to go. But I would say a guy like him, and then you think of like a Mercedes Lewis, can they keep him another year? I mean, he's got a lot of good qualities, but can they afford to do so? Um, Adrian Amos, the safety. There's just a lot of really key guys they brought in to really help this team that, unfortunately, the cap's the cap. So yeah, it's going to be tough because, I, you know, this really was the year for the Packers to make the Super Bowl and go all in, and unfortunately it didn't happen. (laughs) So a lot of these good guys are are sadly going to get sadly going to go. Hmm. You got to Milwaukee just in time for the Bucks championship season last year. Um, something that uh, I'm sure the Bucks fans have been waiting for a very, very long time. <laughs> what was it like seeing that championship ride? It was amazing. Um, first of all, I've never covered a, an NBA team 
making it even close to making an NBA, NBA championship. So that was number one. Um, but this team was so fun to cover again, because you have a guy like Giannis, who's the face of the franchise, right? I mean, he's telling dad jokes these days. Like that's his, that's his thing. He's so fun. But, um, to answer a question, it was just pure pandemonium. People were everywhere, um, in the deer district inside Pfizer forum. I mean, it was just a zoo. And then the parade, uh, the day of the parade, I ended up walking the entire route from start to finish. And the amount of people was just like, mm. I'm like, there, I don't know there's that many people in Milwaukee to begin with. Um, <laughs> but the parade was so fun. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have it any, anytime soon. But um, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. It was it was so fun to cover. So I'm, I'm hoping they make it back. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but at least but to have your first season in Milwaukee and to cover a championship scene. That's something you always remember. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, come on, Brewers make a world series. So I can experience that too. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen either. That's, yeah, but, that, um, that, that may take a while. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I'm, I was like, I'm good luck, Milwaukee. I'm good luck. I came here just in time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, obviously I think you, you know, moving up and um, maybe in a couple of years, we might see you as a sideline reporter for Fox, CBS, or even ESPN. Do you have that? Obviously you have that aspiration, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it'd be foolish for us not to, right. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you want to achieve the the highest level. And I think, you know, sure. that's, that's definitely on my radar. I'm, I'm definitely very much enjoying what I'm doing here in Milwaukee. And then when, you know, my time is up here, we'll, we'll see where I go. And, you know, hopefully it is one of those steps and, and, that would just be great. I just think in terms of just representation, in terms of representation for Asian Americans and for females and, and women in the business who want to get in and little girls who are thinking, hey, I kind of I look like her. Maybe one day I, if I want to do this, I can get to that level, too. So that's really kind of also part of the the drive to get to that level is to set an example and, and just be a trailblazer in this business like a lot of us are um, just paving the way for other people in the in you know who want to do this in the future to say that you know they did it i can do it too so that's that's really a big motivator for me and also just you know seeing how high you can go i always love that challenge well lily Tao, um you're a great follow on twitter i've been following you for a couple of years <laughs> uh, you. love your tweets um especially covering covering the rogers beat i know it's not easy but <laughs> always appreciate it um thank you for coming on with us and we appreciate it and we'll definitely have you on again Awesome. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you, so Thank you guys so much. It was lovely to meet you and I love what you guys do. Thank you again. Thank you so much. We'll Thank hope to have so you much. again. We appreciate it. And uh, the double A team continues in the Barroom Network after this. Really understanding the difference between empowerment and agency versus objectification. And the difference is always who has the power. If I choose that I feel my best and, and I look my best and I'm the most confident in a certain outfit, then I am empowering myself to make that choice and to tell you that I'm, I, I'll show you who I am and let you know who I am. You can't make those decisions based off what I'm wearing. But if it's objectification because the producers or directors or whoever runs a show is saying you have to wear a dress every show and high heels have to be this high, and you have to dye your hair blonde. It's a very different thing. Right. So right. I do think we have to remember that because a lot of people will look at women who are stepping into their own sexuality and and accuse them of not being also allowed to talk about harassment and other things. They are very different things. It's about choice and power.
back with the double a team ken fang on steven nagishi uh what a great show we had um we had um mike yam of the nfl network and lily Zhao of fox six in milwaukee great discussions and we also it was great to see uh and hear about their journeys uh about where they came from and what they were looking for and you know what's interesting um a common thread I keep hearing of people who are in television is what is the role that Michael Kim of formerly of ESPN. I think he was working at one time for stadium. I don't know if he's still, but um, what a an influence he has had on a lot of Asian uh, TV sports reporters. And um, it was great to see that and great to hear that as well. Absolutely. You know, stadium being in Chicago. So there's a, you know, familiarity for, I think a lot of our people within our own network uh, based in Chicago uh, could identify. And, and, you know, we hope to have a legend like uh, Michael Kim uh, have on our show and, uh, you know, just pay tribute to the impact that he has had on the uh, AAPI community. Absolutely. And uh, again, thanks to Mike and thanks to Lily. And don't forget to follow them on Twitter. Uh, we had their Twitter handers uh, on earlier during the show and we'll thank them very much for coming on. Uh, let's wrap up this segment, Stephen. Uh, let's wrap up the show. We'll talk about the Super Bowl, which was a couple of weeks ago, but of course uh, it was on in between our, our uh, last show. So uh, we will predicted the Los Angeles Rams. We knew they were built for this season. Uh, it was a very exciting Super Bowl. They came right down to the wire. Um, that, that Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is just horrible. I mean, Here's a game which another another Super Bowl, and I know Bengals fans don't want to hear this, but this is coming from a Browns fan, so please forgive me. Three <laughs> Super Bowls in which they come down to the final minutes and they are down by one score and lose, or at least at least they were up by a score, especially in the last Super Bowl against a uh, previous Super Bowl um, against San Francisco back in the 1980s, and of course this one against the Rams. Um, I know it's painful; it's going to hurt for a while, but. Um, their offensive line. And, and when you have someone like Aaron Donald who wants to get through, he is going to find a way to, to, to get you. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I just, um, you know, it, that, that offensive line was like a sieve, especially in the second half. Absolutely. You know, it's a painful reminder for bears fans like myself on two counts. One, we missed out on Aaron Donald in the 2014 NFL draft. Yes. You know, he was a one pick. He was picked one uh, one pick ahead of ahead of the bears you know the bears had the 14th and the rams had 13th and obviously the the rest is history um and then you know the offensive line you know we saw this past year you know the beating that um you know justin fields and andy dalton took and just goes to show how bad the offensive line is and 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 obviously both Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace basically did absolutely nothing when it comes to schematic changes and uh, upgrading that uh, unit during their tenure, which thankfully led to their downfall. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not I'm not celebrating anybody losing their jobs, but if you know if anybody who deserves it, unfortunately, it's, it's just both of them, and it's it's quite telling that neither one of them has landed a job at, at this point. Maybe they're just basically sitting out a year. Uh, you know, with their uh, contracts still being paid off by the Bears organization, but obviously, uh, that's neither here nor there. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a lesson that, uh, you know, offensive line still matters, protection still matters. And if the Bengals had, you know, the Bengals unfortunately learned it the hard way, 
You know, they had two boneheaded misses, I think, on fourth and one, you know, the uh, the first quarter near midfield. They could have probably run it with Joe Mixon, you know, who's a great back. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they turn it over on downs. The Rams march down the field and score the first touchdown, if you remember, after that yep. uh, turnover, uh, you know, uh, failed fourth down attempt. So, you know, it's, it's a lesson in life. Sometimes people complicate things, you know, when they could have just, you know, go go ahead and just run it. You know, even mm-hmm. with the bad offensive line, yeah. you know, Joe Mixon still put up a very productive, uh, you know, uh, season. So yeah. if you're going to go for it there, you know, just run it, you know, just run it past, you know, their defensive line, not necessarily at, you know, Donald, Aaron Donald, but obviously they could have uh, probably done it better. And I don't know if it's just basically, you know, the, you know, Zach Taylor just got caught up emotionally. So that's probably one of the turning points of the ball game that I think when I think about it, that really stood out to me, just how, you know, Badly, the the Bengals botched that, that game, in my opinion. And, the, and of course, on the last drive, the third down play, when they did try to run the ball on third down, when they should have really passed that ball there, you have Jamar Chase, you're trying to save the clock, you really need to you get out of bounds and do a first down, they ran the ball there instead. And then, of course, Aaron Donald came in and uh, pretty much ended the game on the, last, on the next play. So uh, mm-hmm. pretty much, um, as you mentioned, Bengals need help on the offensive line. Uh, seven sacks uh, for the uh, against the Bengals in their uh, wild card game against the uh, against the Tennessee Titans, and sure. then of course it really didn't. Uh, they got away with it in that game when they came back and won, but sure. of course um, they didn't. It, it, when you're going against a superior defensive line like the Los Angeles Rams, um, it, you could you could have you know. You, they could have had the Great Wall of China at that point, uh, but Aaron Don- Donald would have probably gotten that through that too. So you know, right? It finally caught up to them at an unfortunate time. You know, mm-hmm. the clock struck midnight, unfortunately. So. Yep. You see the coming up the guest coming up on future shows here on the Double um, A team, and we look forward to having the following people on over the next few weeks. Uh, let's talk really quickly about the halftime show. Uh, I, I I thought it was. <laughs> You know, as someone who loves Prince, I'm going to say that the that this particular halftime show with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, you had uh, 50 Cent, Eminem, and also Mary J. Blige. I'm going to say that was the best halftime show ever. Yeah, don't forget Kendrick Lamar too. There, of course, Kendrick Lamar can't forget. Right. Uh, it was a very entertaining show. Um, you know, brought back some memories of uh, absolutely. You know, being being in Southern California. You know, the uh, you know the West Coast rap. Uh, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. You know, having watched the uh, the movie, um, I forgot the name. God, she's uh, straight out of Compton. Sorry, okay, so, yeah. their, their story. You know, it was just uh, so reminiscent. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was thoroughly entertained. Obviously, it doesn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> appease everybody you know especially the older crowd who obviously wants nothing to do with the rap but i think a lot of uh you know 30s 40s you know uh crowd you know who attended the game obviously remember you know when they were you know in their teenage years you know listening to their these musics and uh you know i hope they got their money's worth it'll be interesting to see you know where the uh, halftime show goes because i think pepsi's uh done after uh, you know, this was a Pepsi's last 
halftime show. So we'll yeah. be, you know, it's a kind of interesting to see, obviously, names like Verizon, which already is a, uh, you know, media sponsor, um, you know, with the streaming and all the other stuff that, uh, you know, that they're capable of. Obviously, maybe they can take over and take the production to different heights. Who knows? But, mm. you know, if this was a Pepsi's last one, it was a certainly, a, you know, a memorable one. They went out with a bang for sure. And what's interesting is that Jay-Z is responsible now for the halftime shows. So his <laughs> production show is uh, into it. And I think you his influence on it definitely uh, showed because instead of having aging rockers and I, I, someone who aging myself i have no problem <laughs> seeing the who but you're trying to get a certain audience i think this really touched a touched a certain audience especially the gen gen x audience and the millennials audience and i think that's who the uh, the nfl is trying to reach here and especially and also kendrick lamar too although he had to censor a few um <laughs> as well um uh, commercials uh oh yeah there the, there it is and of course uh, Eminem did his thing by kneeling down allegedly the NFL <laughs> told him not to do it Eminem said he was he did it anyway so um, right. the NFL know. later said that they didn't tell him to do that so yeah. obviously there's nothing to be butthurt about and uh, also Anderson Pack the uh, the Grammy award winner there doing the drums that was also another surprise <laughs> element there as well yeah and uh, lastly uh, your your favorite commercial Stephen I tweeted out the uh, Rocket Mortgage one with Anna Kendrick. I thought it was a, a funny take on the, uh, you know, the current uh, house marketing bubble. Uh, that was actually a well done one. And um, what else? You know, the thing that really stood out was basically a lot of electric cars and crypto. Uh, obviously, those yeah, are the crypto things. That's still, you know, yeah. and I think that's somewhat of a trend now, I think, going forward. You know, we saw, you know, the uh, BMW, I believe it was a BMW with the uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, jeez, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's the, uh, Selma Hayek? Yeah. Uh, we yep. saw Polster. That did not look very appealing in my opinion. And uh, Kia's um, obviously the, uh, you know, stylish electric car with the, uh, you know, the electric robot. That I think that was, um, you know, I think I, saw, I noticed a somewhat of a trend there too. Yep. I'm going to say my favorite ad. I know everyone's talking about the Rocket Mortgage ad, but for me, it was Chevy Silverado and seeing um, Jimmy ah, and, yeah. and also the, the actor who played uh, AJ Soprano. Of course, the Sopranos are also using A3C. The A3 woke up this morning theme uh, from the Sopranos and almost doing shot for shot that great opening that the Sopranos had on HBO, bringing back to the series. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to, that's my favorite ad. And when I heard that theme, I'm like thinking, I started singing the theme. I'm thinking, all right, where's, <laughs> where the Sopranos, and of course, it brings back, of course, to those great uh, thoughts about James Gandolfini, who, uh, of course, died at, in, in his 50s, um, uh, the great actor who uh, played uh, Tony Soprano. So I, I had, that was my favorite commercial. So um, uh, that that's um, that was mine. Um, any thoughts on the upcoming uh, guests that we're going to have, Stephen? So the next show, I believe, we're, uh, two weeks from now will be March uh, 7th. Uh, we're expected to have author Chris Herring, who is a uh, uh, Chicago native and uh, Northwest uh, journalist, uh, jur journalism school background. He wrote a, a, a bestseller uh, about the uh, the 90s New York Knicks. So we're very, very excited to uh, talk to him, another Chicago native. And then we're uh, expected to talk the second guest on the 7th, Mark Kim, who is a Missouri uh, graduate, another fine journal journalistic uh, school. 
working for ESPN and then now the athletics uh, media team. And then uh, two weeks after that, on the 21st, uh, we're looking to have Eric Winolda, former uh, uh, U.S. men's national team player, a legend, and then uh, former uh, Fox Sports commentator to talk about the the final three games of the United uh, States-Qatar World Cup qualifier. And then uh, Jonah Jabbar, who's a, a Persian sports reporter, at the WFAA in Dallas. Uh, he's a big Bengals fan, obviously, following on his uh, social media. <laughs> I used to live in Dallas, so I've uh, followed his career, obviously working for the legendary Dale Hansen, who retired yes. last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very, very excited to have another uh, guest uh, like uh, Jonah Javad, uh, who is very close with uh, Leah Rahimi in Chicago with the 670 to score, who's another Persian herself. Right. Um, and someone who's a big Metallica fan, by the way, <laughs> and uh, does great job with uh, um, ha- did a great job with NBC Sports Chicago, and now is uh, I think she's on the score. Is it is she on the? Yes, yeah, six seventy the score. score. Right? Yeah. Uh, 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 Rahe- Bernstein and Rahimi middays. Yep, that's so. one person we should have on the on the show. By the way, absolutely. And, and, by uh, the way, um, we will be. I, I, apologies early if we get her on the show. I will be talking Metallica with her. Quite a bit. So, <laughs> if we have her uh, in the future, for absolutely, I'm a, I don't, I'm a big Metallica fan too. So. Oh, excellent! This is good. I, to love, know. The show. I we, love their songs too. So, we, we will be talking Metallica. I don't think we'll be talking sports during that segment. We'll just talk Metallica. So, anyway, <laughs> we'll try to sneak you. in. We'll try to sneak in a little bit too. Yeah, just a few, she also just a uh, worked for the NBC's uh, Olympic coverage, so we're definitely yes. seen on uh, talking mm-hmm. about her about that experience if we can get her on and we'll definitely right. do our best to get her on too so. absolutely so that's it for this program we like to thank once again michael yam of the nfl network and the great lily Tao of fox six in milwaukee we had if you if you missed it it'll be on youtube and also on the on the platforms on the that where you can get podcasts as well apple Podcasts, spotify and all that place thank you very much for listening for watching the uh, barroom network and the double a team For Stephen Nagishi, I'm Ken Fang. Thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you next time.